chapter four of from ritual to romance this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org from ritual to romance by jesse laidley weston chapter four tammuz and adonis part one tammuz in the previous chapter we considered certain aspects of the attitude assumed by our aryan forefathers towards the great processes of nature in their ordered sequence of birth growth and decay we saw that while on one hand they by prayer and supplication threw themselves upon the mercy of the divinity who in their belief was responsible for the granting or withholding of the water whether of rain or river the constant supply of which was an essential condition of such ordered sequence they on the other hand believed that by their own actions they could stimulate and assist the divine activity hence the dramatic representations to which i have referred the performance for instance of such a drama as the rishha the ceremonial marriages and other exercises of what we now call sympathetic magic to quote a well-known passage from sir j g fraser they commonly believed that the tie between the animal and vegetable world was even closer than it really is to them the principle of life and fertility whether animal or vegetable was one and indivisible hence actions that induce fertility in the animal world were held to be equally efficacious in stimulating the reproductive energies of the vegetable how deeply this idea was rooted in the minds of our ancestors we their descendants may learn from its survival to our own day the ultimate and what we may in a general sense term the classical form in which this sense of the community of the life principle found expression was that which endowed the vivifying force of nature with a distinct personality divine or semi-divine whose experiences in virtue of his close kinship with humanity might be expressed in terms of ordinary life at this stage the progress of the seasons the birth of vegetation in spring or its revival after the autumn rains its glorious fruition in early summer its decline and death under the maleficent influence either of the scorching sun or the bitter winter cold symbolically represented the corresponding stages in the life of this anthropomorphically conceived being whose annual progress from birth to death from death to a renewed life was celebrated with a solemn ritual of corresponding alternations of rejoicing and lamentation recent researches provided us with abundant material for the study of the varying forms of this nature cult the extraordinary importance of which as an evolutionary factor in what we may term the concrete expression of human thought and feeling is only gradually becoming realized 
before turning our attention to this the most important section of our investigation it may be well to consider one characteristic difference between the nature ritual of the rig veda and that preserved to us in the later monuments of greek antiquity in the rig veda early as it is we find the process of religious evolution already far advanced the goddess separated himself from his worshippers and assumed an anthropomorphic form indra while still retaining traces of his weather origin is no longer to borrow miss harrison's descriptive phrase an automatic explosive thunderstorm he wields the thunderbolt certainly but he appears in heroic form to receive the offerings made to him and to celebrate his victory in a solemn ritual dance in greek art and literature on the other hand where we might expect to find an even more advanced conception we are faced with one seemingly more primitive and in chote that is the idea of a constantly recurring cycle of birth death and resurrection or rebirth of all things in nature this cycle depending upon the activities of an entity at first vaguely conceived of as the luck of the year the any autos daemon this being at one stage of evolution theriomorphic he might assume the form of a bull a goat or a snake the latter probably from the close connection of the reptile with the earth being the more general form only gradually and by distinctly traceable stages assumed an anthropomorphic shape this gives to the study of greek antiquity a special and peculiar value since in regard to the body of religious belief and observance with which we are here immediately concerned neither in what we may not improperly term its ultimate early aryan nor in what has been generally considered its proximate syrophoenician source have these intermediate stages been preserved in each case the ritual remains are illustrative of a highly developed cult distinctly anthropomorphic in conception i offer no opinion as to the critical significance of this fact but i would draw the attention of scholars to its existence that the process of evolution was complete at a very early date has been proved by recent researches into the sumerian babylonian civilization we know now that the cult of the god tammuz if not the direct original of the phoenician greek adonis is at least representative of a common parent deity may be traced back to three thousand b c while it persisted among the sabaeans among the sabaeans at Haran into the middle ages while much relating to the god and his precise position in the sumerian babylonian pantheon still remains obscure fragmentary cuneiform texts connected with the religious services of the period have been discovered and to a considerable extent deciphered and we are thus in a position to judge from the prayers and invocations addressed to the deity what were the powers attributed to and the benefits besought from him these texts are of a uniform character they are all lamentations or wailings having for their exciting cause the disappearance of tammuz from this upper earth and the disastrous effects produced upon animal and vegetable life by his absence the woes of the land and the folk are set forth in poignant detail 
and tammuz is passionately invoked to have pity upon his worshippers and to end their sufferings by a speedy return this return we find from other texts was effected by the action of a goddess the mother sister or paramour of tammuz who descending into the nether world induced the youthful deity to return with her to earth it is perfectly clear from the texts which have been deciphered that tammuz is not to be regarded merely as representing the spirit of vegetation his influence is operative not only in the vernal processes of nature as a spring god but in all its reproductive energies without distinction or limitation he may be considered as an embodiment of the life principle and his cult as a life cult mr stephen langdon inclines to believe that the original tammuz typified the vivifying waters he writes since in babylonia as in egypt the fertility of the soil depended upon irrigation it is but natural to expect that the youthful god who represents the birth and death of nature would represent the beneficent waters which flooded the valleys of the tigris and euphrates in the late winter and which ebbed away and nearly disappeared in the canals and rivers in the period of summer drought we find therefore that the theologians regarded this youthful divinity as belonging to the cult of eridu centre of the worship of ea lord of the nether sea in a note to this passage mr langdon adds he appears in the great theological list as damizi abzu tammuz of the nether sea that is the faithful son of the fresh waters which come from the earth this presents us with an interesting analogy to the citations given in the previous chapter from the rig veda the tammuz cult is specially valuable as providing us with evidence of the gradual evolution of the life cult from the early conception of the vivifying powers of the waters to the wider recognition of a common principle underlying all manifestations of life this is very clearly brought out in the beautiful lament for tammuz published by mr langdon in tammuz and ishtar and also in sumerian and babylonian psalms in iana high and low there is weeping wailing for the house of the lord they raise the wailing is for the plants the first lament is they grow not the wailing is for the barley the ears grow not for the habitations and flocks it is they produce not for the perishing wedded ones for perishing children it is the dark-headed people create not the wailing is for the great river it brings the flood no more the wailing is for the fields of men the gunu grows no more the wailing is for the fish ponds the dashahur fish spawn not the wailing is for the cane brake the fallen stalks grow not the wailing is for the forests the tamarisks grow not the wailing is for the highlands the mascam trees grow not the wailing is for the garden storehouse honey and wine are produced not the wailing is for the meadows the bounty of the garden the situ plants grow not the wailing is for the palace life unto distant days is not can anything be more expressive of the community of life animating the whole of nature than this poignantly worded lament a point which differentiates the worship of tammuz from the kindred and better known cult of adonis is the fact that we have no liturgical record of the celebration of the resurrection of the deity it certainly took place for the effects are referred to where grass was not 
there grass has eaten where water was not water is drunk where the cattle sheds were not cattle sheds are built while this distinctly implies the revival of vegetable and animal life those features that is resurrection and sacred marriage which made the adonis ritual one of rejoicing as much as of lamentation are absent from liturgical remains of the tammuz cult a detail which has attracted the attention of scholars is the lack of any artistic representation of this ritual a lack which is the more striking in view of the important position which these wailings for tammuz occupy in the extant remains of babylonian liturgies on this point mr langdon makes an interesting suggestion it is probable that the service of wailing for the dying god the descent of the mother and the resurrection were attended by mysterious rituals the actual mysteries may have been performed in a secret chamber and consequently the scenes were forbidden in art this would account for the surprising dearth of archaeological evidence concerning a cult upon which the very life of mankind was supposed to depend in view of the fact that my suggestion as to the possible later development of these life cults as mysteries has aroused considerable opposition it is well to bear in mind that such development is held by those best acquainted with the earliest forms of the ritual to have been not merely possible but to have actually taken place and that at a very remote date mr langdon quotes a passage referring to kings who in their day played the role of tammuz in the mystery of this cult he considers that here we have to do with kings who by a symbolic act escaped the final penalty of sacrifice as representative of the dying god the full importance of the evidence above set forth will become more clearly apparent as we proceed with our investigation here i would simply draw attention to the fact that we now possess definite proof that at a period of some three thousand years b c the idea of a being upon whose life and reproductive activities the very existence of nature and its corresponding energies was held to depend yet who was himself subject to the vicissitudes of declining powers in death like an ordinary mortal had already assumed a fixed and practically final form further that this form was specially crystallized in ritual observances in our study of the later manifestations of this cult we shall find that this central idea is always and unalterably the same and is moreover frequently accompanied by a remarkable correspondence of detail the chain of evidence is already strong and we may justly claim that the links added by further research strengthen while they lengthen that chain part two adonis while it is only of comparatively recent date that information as to the exact character of the worship directed to tammuz has been available and the material we at present possess is but fragmentary in character the corresponding cult of the phoenician greek divinity we know as adonis has for some years been the subject of scholarly research not only have the details of the ritual been examined and discussed and the surviving artistic evidence described and illustrated but from the anthropological side attention has been forcibly directed to its importance as a factor in the elucidation of certain widespread folk beliefs and practices we know now that the worship of adonis which enjoyed among the greeks a popularity extending to our own day was originally of phoenician origin its principal centres being the cities of byblos and Aphaca. from phoenicia it spread to the greek islands the earliest evidence of the worship being found in cyprus 
from thence to the mainland where it established itself firmly the records of the cult go back to seven hundred b c but it may quite possibly be of much earlier date mr langdon suggests that the worship of the divinity we know as adonis may under another name reach back to an antiquity equal with that we can now ascribe to the cult of tammuz in its fully evolved classical form the cult of adonis offers as it were a halfway house between the fragmentary relics of arian and babylonian antiquity and the wealth of mediaeval and modern survivals to which the ingenuity and patience of contemporary scholars have directed our attention we all know the mythological tale popularly attached to the name of adonis that he was a fair youth beloved of aphrodite who wounded in the thigh by a wild boar died of his wound the goddess in despair at his death by her prayers won from zeus the boon that adonis be allowed to return to earth for a portion of each year and henceforward the youthful god divides his time between the goddess of hades persephone and aphrodite but the importance assumed by the story the elaborate ceremony with which the death of adonis was mourned and his restoration to life fetid the date and character of the celebrations all leave no doubt that the personage with whom we are dealing was no mere favourite of a goddess but one with whose life and well-being the ordinary processes of nature whether animal or vegetable were closely and intimately concerned in fact the central figure of these rites by whatever name he may be called is the somewhat elusive and impersonal entity who represents in anthropomorphic form the principle of animate nature upon whose preservation and unimpaired energies the life of man directly and indirectly depends before proceeding to examine these rites there is one point to which i have alluded earlier in another connection upon which our minds must be quite clear that is the nature of the injury suffered writers upon the subject are of one accord in considering the usual account to be but a euphemistic veiling of the truth while the close relation between the stories of adonis and attis and the practices associated with the cult placed beyond any shadow of a doubt the fact that the true reason for this universal mourning was the cessation or suspension by injury or death of the reproductive energy of the god upon whose virile activity vegetable life directly and human life indirectly depended what we have need to seize and to insist upon is the overpowering influence which the sense of life the need for life the essential sanctity of the life-giving faculty exercised upon primitive religions Belay puts this well when he says en réalité c'est sur la conception de la vie physique considérée dans son origine et dans son action et dans le double principe qui l'anime que repose tout le cycle religieux des peuples orientaux de l'antiquité professor von schroeder says even more precisely and emphatically in der religion der arischen urzeit ist alle auf eleben bergen hung gerichtet man kann dem fallus als her bereschendes symbol betrachten and in spite of the strong opposition to this cult manifested in indian literature beginning with the rig veda and ripening to fruition in the upanishads in spite of the rise of buddhism with its opposing dictum of renunciation the life cult asserted its essential vitality against all opposition and under modified forms represents the popular religion of india to this day each and all of the ritual dramas reconstructed in the pages of mysterium 
und mimus bear more or less distinctly the stamp of their fertility origin while outside india the pages of fraser and mandhart and numerous other writers on folklore and ethnology record the widespread and persistent survival of these rites and their successful defiance of the spread of civilization it is to this special group of belief and practice that the adonis and more especially its phrygian counterpart the Addis, worship belong even when transplanted to the more restrained and cultured environment of the greek mainland they still retain their primitive character farnell in his cults of the greek states refers to the worship of adonis as a ritual that the more austere state religion of greece probably failed to purify the saner mind spread in a religious atmosphere that was on the whole genial and temperate revolted from the din of cymbals and drums the meaningless ecstasies of sorrow and joy that marked the new religion it is i submit indispensable for the purposes of our investigation that the essential character and significance of the cults with which we are dealing should not be evaded or ignored but faced frankly admitted and held in mind during the progress of our inquiry having now determined the general character of the ritual what were the specific details the date of the feast seems to have varied in different countries thus in greece it was celebrated in the spring a moment of the birth of vegetation according to st jerome in palestine the celebration fell in june when plant life was in its first full luxuriance in cyprus at the autumnal equinox that is the beginning of the year in the syro macedonian calendar the death of adonis falling on the twenty third of september his resurrection on the first of october the beginning of a new year this would seem to indicate that here adonis was considered as valet suggests less as the god of vegetation than as the superior and nameless lord of life adonis equals syriac adon lord under whose protection the year was placed he is the any autos daemon in the same way as the dates varied so also did the order of the ritual generally speaking the elaborate ceremonies of mourning for the dead god and committing his effigy to the waves preceded the joyous celebration of his resurrection but in alexandria the sequence was otherwise the feast began with a solemn and joyous celebration of the nuptials of adonis and aphrodite at the conclusion of which a head of papyrus representing the god was with every show of mourning committed to the waves and borne within seven days by a current always to be counted upon at that season of the year to byblos where it was received and welcomed with popular rejoicing the duration of the feast varied from two days as at alexandria to seven or eight connected with the longer period of the feast were the so-called gardens of adonis baskets or pans planted with quick-growing seeds which speedily come to fruition and as speedily wither in the modern survivals of the cult three days form the general term for the flowering of these gardens the most noticeable feature of the ritual was the prominence assigned to women qui le plot qui la campagne à sa tombe elle sanglote éperdument pendant les nuits sur leur dieu pleut que tout autre et sous elles faire pleurer sa mort et chanter sa résurrection thus in the tenth century the festival received the arabic name of el bugat or the festival of the weeping women one very curious practice during these celebrations was that of cutting off the hair in honour of the god 
women who hesitated to make this sacrifice must offer themselves to strangers either in the temple or on the market-place the gold received as the price of their favours being offered to the goddess this obligation only lasted for one day it was also customary for the priests of adonis to mutilate themselves in imitation of the god a distinct proof if one were needed of the traditional cause of his death turning from a consideration of the adonis ritual its details and significance to an examination of the grail romances we find that their mise en scene provides a striking series of parallels with the classical celebrations parallels which instead of vanishing as parallels have occasionally an awkward habit of doing before closer investigation rather gain in force the more closely they are studied thus the central figure is either a dead knight on a bier as in the goblin versions or a wounded king on a litter when wounded the injury corresponds with that suffered by adonis and attis closely connected with the wounding of the king is the destruction which has fallen on the land which will be removed when the king is healed the version of saint de nancy is here of extreme interest the position is stated with so much clearness and precision that the conclusion cannot be evaded we are face to face with the dreaded calamity which it was the aim of the adonis ritual to avert the temporary suspension of all the reproductive energies of nature while the condition of the king is the cause of general and vociferous lamentation a special feature never satisfactorily accounted for is the presence of a weeping woman or several weeping women thus in the interpolated visit of gawain to the grail castle found in the sea group of percival manuscripts the grail-bearer weeps piteously as she does also in diu crone in the version of the prose lancelot gawain during the night sees twelve maidens come to the door of the chamber where the grail is kept kneel down and weep bitterly in fact behave precisely as did the classical mourners for adonis el sanglon éperdument pendant la nuit behaviour for which the text as it now stands provides no shadow of explanation or excuse the grail is here the most revered of christian relics the dwellers in the castle of corbenic have all that heart can desire with the additional prestige of being the guardians of the grail if the feature be not a belated survival which has lost its meaning it defies any explanation whatsoever in diu crone alone where the grail-bearer and her maidens are the sole living beings in an abode of the dead is any explanation of the weeping women attempted but an interpolated passage in the herald's college manuscript of the percival states that when the quest is achieved the hero shall learn the cause of the maiden's grief and also the explanation of the dead knight upon the bier da gra qui vient après et pour qui pleure tout a de la pucelle qui le sustient de la bière qu'après vient se ver la vérité en donc c'est au que ne ne peut servir donc pour nous rien qui avenise folio one eighty volume one eighty one of course in the percival there is neither a weeping maiden nor a bier and the passage must therefore be either an unintelligent addition by a scribe familiar with the gawain versions or an interpolation from a source which did not contain the features in question so far as the texts at our disposal are concerned both features belong exclusively to the gawain and not to the percival quest the interpolation is significant as it indicates a surviving sense of the importance of this feature in the perusavaux 
we have the curious detail of a maiden who has lost her hair as a result of the hero's failure to ask the question and the consequent sickness of the fisher king the occurrence of this detail may be purely fortuitous but at the same time it is admissible to point out that the adonis cults do provide us with a parallel in the enforced loss of hair by the women taking part in these rites while no explanation of this curious feature has so far as i am aware been suggested by the critics of the text we may also note the fact that the grail castle is always situated in the close vicinity of water either on or near the sea or on the banks of an important river in two cases the final home of the grail is in a monastery situated upon an island the presence of water either sea or river is an important feature in the adonis cult the effigy of the dead god being not buried in the earth but thrown into the water it will thus be seen that in suggesting a form of nature worship analogous to this well-known cult as the possible ultimate source from which the incidents and mise-en-scene of the grail stories were derived we are relying not upon an isolated parallel but upon a group of parallels which alike in incident and intention offer not merely a resemblance to but also an explanation of the perplexing problems of the grail literature we must now consider the question whether incidents so remote in time may fairly and justly be utilized in this manner End of chapter four